The Gospel according to John, chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning and welcome. Uh, so glad that you are here with us uh, today. Thanks for joining us. My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors. Uh, it's great to be able to, yeah, just to be together, to worship, to remind ourselves of these things, and to study the Gospel of John uh, together. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we will uh, look together at God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would speak uh, through your Word. God, that you'd use me in this moment. God, that you would take these uh, things written down so long ago, these things that John was able to, to see and bear witness to and write down for us today, even so long ago. I pray that they wouldn't just be words written uh, in ages past, but they would be words written to our hearts deeply uh, within us. God, that we would see ourselves in this story, and that even more than that, God, we would see you, uh, and that you would rescue us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If your child was dying, what would you do to save them? I mean, if you're, seriously, like, if, you're, if your child was dying, like, what lengths would you go in order to rescue them? I mean, I mean you know, I don't, I don't know if I have a, a, a stronger, more haunting fear than something terrible happening to my kids, Right? And I felt that way for a long time. It's like, if something were to happen, like, I don't, I don't know what I would do, right? And some of you, some of you, you've actually experienced this, right? You know the grief and the longing of such loss. Now, maybe you don't have kids, or maybe you don't particularly like your kids. I don't know. Um, but even, even so, like, you can, you can identify into this sense of longing and grief, right? And how longing and grief so often go into it. The kind, of, the kind of longing where it just, like, it physically hurts, right? You, you want something, you need something so bad, you, you feel it physically. And yet, even so, it remains unfulfilled, which is 
grief, right? Grief and longing always go hand in hand. And it could be about a child, as we, as we read it in this story. It could be something else for you, though. It could be a, a longing for a spouse or for your spouse to actually see you. Uh, it, it could be for some relationship to be restored, for chronic pain to be over, depression to be gone, or anxiety, a, a job where you feel valued, like you name it. It could be to, to turn on the news one day and not hear about COVID or Russia or our own political turmoil and instability within our own country. Or maybe even just to be able to look into a mirror one day and not feel that haunting sense of regret. Or shame. Church, we are a people of great longing and great grief. And again, those things often go hand in hand. Isn't that true of, of us though? This is one of the things that Dr. Kurt Thompson said when I had a little time with him this past fall. If you remember, he was, he was with us as a, as a church. He's a, a psychiatrist, a, a neuroscientist, and kind of a, a, a bit of a theologian in his own right. And when he said those words, basically describing the human experience, we were sitting at dinner with a handful of us, and he basically described what it means to be human. That we humans are a people of great longing and great grief. And when he said that, I felt in that moment as if no truer words have ever been spoken to me. Just like in that moment, it hit me. Great longing, great grief, desire unfulfilled. And yet as we look at the story, I'm convinced that is where true faith begins. Somehow, someway in that intersection between grief and longing, in, in that gap between what you, what you feel right now and what you long to be true, and where your whole body almost aches. And if that describes you today, I've got some really good news for you. And so if you haven't already, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. So most of John 4 uh, is about the Samaritan woman, right? It's this long story. It's an incredible story. Uh, that was, that was uh, last week. Uh, and it's, you know, the Samaritan woman, it's, she's an outcast, an outcast of all sort of outcasts. It's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible because this woman sees Jesus for who he really is, not simply as a miracle worker, not merely as a good teacher, but as the one who sees her, who knows her longing and has come to fulfill it with living water. Right? She's, a, she's a thirsty person, and you see that evidence in, in her life and her, her experience. She's thirsting for something, and Jesus says, I have living water for you. I'm going to satisfy your thirst. And in many ways, she becomes one of the first participants in E90, right? She begins sharing her faith with, with anyone and everyone. She can't help but share the good news of Jesus. And so now John tells us after two days, Jesus goes back to his home region of, of Galilee. So this is like home turf now. So he, he went from Samaria, which is basically the opposite, and, and now he's, he's back in his home region of Galilee. And John warns us, though, at the very beginning of the story, that this is, this is a place for which Jesus will have no honor. That he's not, he's not really going to be respected for who he is and who he came to be. So we read in verse 43, after the two days he departed for Galilee... For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem by the feast. And stop there. Now, it sounds almost like a contradiction, doesn't it? It's like he's going to have no honor, but they welcomed him. 
Like they're excited to see him, right? So what is, what is John getting at? Well, at the end of, of chapter 2, when Jesus left this region, we got a little bit of a hint here that, that Jesus, he was a big hit in Galilee, but mostly just because they, they liked the show. Okay, this is, this is Cana, right? John tells us where Jesus made water into wine. And so you know, the people are excited to see him. It's like, hey, the bartender's back. Like maybe we can get some more, some more free wine, Jesus, right? They want, they want a miracle, Okay, and so this is, this is the region. You can kind of see Cana, that's where we are. Capernaum, that's going to come in in a moment here. But that's the, kind of the whole region there. And so they're like, more wine, Jesus. Like they're, they're impressed with him. They're excited by the miracles. But they're basically uninterested in, in Jesus. And this is important because we're about to meet another outsider, someone like the Samaritan woman, right? Another outsider and John wants us to wonder, okay, so how's this guy going to respond to Jesus? And so the Galilean crowds, they begin swarming Jesus, right? They're hoping for another show. And all of a sudden, there in Cana of Galilee, we meet this man from Capernaum, verse 46. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Okay, so what do we, what do we know about this guy? I mean, first of all, it says he's an official, right? And the, the word there in the Greek means he's probably a political official. Most likely that means he works for Herod. If you know anything about Herod, Herod was the, the puppet ruler of that region, right? He was put in place by the Romans to, to kind of sort of uh, put their oppression upon the people. You, are you following that? So that, that, means, that means this guy, he's either a Gentile, so hated, or he's a Jewish traitor, so hated, right? Maybe even hated more. Either way... He's an outsider. He's not from the town, and he's not really part of the people. But he's an official. He's got power, right? Chances are he's used to being in control of, of getting what he wanted. He had money. He had influence. He had everything. Everything but a healthy son. And if you think about it, that's, that's sort of the strange thing about unfulfilled longing, isn't it? Because you may, you may have everything. Many of us, if we're honest, many of us do, essentially. And so on, on paper, you should be completely satisfied with your life. Everything looks great, right? And even so, there's that, that ache, that longing for more. And then when something outside of your control actually does happen, like your child gets sick, really sick, what will you do then? Will you walk 20 miles to visit a Jewish rabbi you'd heard a few rumors about? I mean, think about that for a moment. That's, that's how desperate this guy is. That's what this does. Like we, as modern readers, we don't understand the difference there, but that's Capernaum to, get to Cana. That's a long walk, right? 20 miles. Because he'd heard a few rumors about this guy. And so this also sets him apart from the crowds, right? He's not part of the Galilean crowd, right? He's not, the, he's not expecting to uh, see another, another kind of miracle. He's hoping for one. He's hoping for healing. But most likely, this guy's never met Jesus. 
Most likely he's never seen him, right? Never talked to him. He simply heard a few rumors. And so he comes to Jesus, not just wanting to be marveled, right? Not just wanting to be wowed with a few exciting miracles. This guy actually needs a miracle. And so my guess is as well, that this, this means he's probably tried every other option, right? This is kind of a last-ditch effort sort of move, right? He's talked to the doctors. Again, he's, most likely he's a person of, of power, money, influence. Like, so he's done everything within his control to save his son. This is his last hope. And it's estimated in this first-century world that only 49% of children would live to age five. I mean, think about that for a second. You have two kids. One's going to make it to kindergarten. That's, that's the world they live in. And so when he's, when he's afraid that his child's going to die, it's like, well, it's, it's quite likely, right? And so he walks 20 miles, living on a prayer. 20 miles. That's, that's about an eight-hour walk, depending on how fast you go, each way. That's like walking from here to Worlds of Fun. I don't know if anybody wants to join me later on today, and we could try that out. It's a long walk. And, and maybe you're like, you hear that, it's like, yeah, but if my child was sick, of course I did. I walked 40 miles, I walked 60 miles, I walked 100 miles, I walked 500. Like, who cares? Like, if my, if my child was sick, I would do that and more. But would you? For a Jewish rabbi, you just heard a couple of rumors about I love this guy's plan as well. I mean, I wish, I wish John would have given us more details here. He gives it to us pretty simply, right, of what happens. So curious about everything that, that went on that's sort of unwritten here. But I love what it appears like this guy's plan is. Like, he just basically walks up to Jesus. Hi, Jesus. It's really nice to meet you. So my son is dying. Will you walk 20 miles back home with me to heal him? Like, that's, that's the request, right? He says, come back with me. Come, come, like he has the audacity to say to Jesus, come 20 miles on foot back home to heal my son. And here's the deal, right here, we see a kernel of this man's faith. And here's the first thing I want us to take with us today. I already said it, but this is kind of point number one from this story. You see, true faith begins with unfulfilled longing. You see it in this guy's life, right? There's something within him that is crying out for more, that, 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 that need for something, for some sort of help, some sort of satisfaction, that, that place between desire and grief. Like when your son is dying and you don't know if it's going to work, no idea. Even so, you have the courage to walk 20 miles so that you can say, Jesus, please, please. You take those, those unfulfilled longings, whatever they are, to this Jewish rabbi that you think maybe, just maybe, might be able to do something about it. Even when you're uncertain of the results, right? This guy doesn't know if Jesus can or will. He simply believes enough to go. You know, friends, sometimes we think for faith to be real, it has to be like 100% certain, like completely absolute all the time, unwavering, like you never ever have a single doubt, kind of. That's sort of what we sort of build up for ourselves, and then we feel so guilty or ashamed when, when it's less than that. But the reality is for faith to be faith, it always happens in those places in between, those places of uncertainty, not, faith, not sight, but faith, right? 
but you go to Jesus anyway. And this, this is why I think the crowds in this story, right, the people swarming Jesus, like, like many of us, like me, if I'm completely honest, we're so hungry for a sign. Like, Jesus, give, just give us a sign. Right? We're, so un- we're so uncomfortable with uncertainty. We're so uncomfortable with faith. We want sight, right? That's what they want here. They don't, they don't want to just believe. They want to see. Show us a miracle, Jesus. And Jesus is completely uninterested in that. And in fact, his, his initial response to this guy almost feels a bit tone deaf, doesn't it? Look again, uh, verse 47. So this guy, he goes to Jesus and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sort of this exasperated, oh, is anybody going to want me for me? Or they just want to be impressed by me, right? It's sort of Jesus' way of saying, like, you people, you, you don't really want to follow me? You just want what I can do for you? You don't, you don't want me? You want to be impressed by, by me? And, and Jesus, he's not, he's not interested in impressing you, right? Now, Jesus, he's speaking primarily, I think, to the crowds here. And it's, it's a rebuke by him saying that. And John, John has already let us know. I think this is why John sort of tipped his hat, like oh, that he's not going to be honored here. And so you make sense of what, how Jesus responds in this space. The crowd really isn't that into him. They, they'll only believe what they can see. They want nothing to do with real faith. But Jesus is also, obviously, speaking to this man. And Jesus, he knows what's in this guy's heart. He sees the seeds of faith. Okay, this guy came 20 miles. I've never met. He asked me this crazy, this crazy question, right? This crazy request. Jesus sees the feet, seeds of faith, and he waters that seed. That's what he's doing here. Because you see, the reality is Jesus is willing to meet you in that place of unfulfilled longing, whatever it is, the place of, of grief and desire, whatever brings you to him, even if it's just a prayer of desperation. He'll take it. But he always wants more. Ultimately, what he wants is to give you himself more than any miracle, right? That's what he wants. In fact, the, uh, the Dutch theologian, Herman Ritterboss, this guy just looks like a theologian. Um, listen to what he writes about this particular passage. He says, Jesus did not only want to give the son back to the father, he wanted to give himself. That every miracle, in, in the Bible, every, every miracle that we ask for, the things that we want, ultimately that is what, that is what Jesus wants. More than, more than satisfying us, more than making us happy, more than relieving that area of pain, Jesus wants to give you himself. And really, he can give no healing to you apart from giving himself. That's what he wants ultimately. And so he, he pushes this guy in love, like he's watering the seed of faith because Jesus knows this guy wants, like all of us, like all of us, more than just a healthy child, more than just a sign, more than just that thing that you long for, whatever it is. We're hungry for more, aren't we? We are a people of great longing and great grief. And this is a super dumb example, but I'm going to share it anyway. So my wife and I, 
Uh, we're currently uh, doing the Whole30. Do you know this? Are you familiar with this diet? It's a diet. It's kind of a Lent thing that we're doing. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But like, uh, basically, if you don't know what it is, if you just imagine everything you love, everything that's good in the world, anything that gives you pleasure, and you just like don't do any of that for a month, okay? Um, this is day 22. I'm not even sure why I got out of bed this morning. Honestly, it's just been, it's been horrendous. Uh, but the, the, the weirdest thing... The weirdest thing about it uh, is that in the first like week or two, and some of you have done this, you know this, is that actually you get to eat pretty good food, and you can eat till you're pretty full. I mean, it's not like you're, you're not starving yourself or anything like that. Uh, but the first couple weeks, you just have these inexplicable cravings all the time. Like I would eat dinner and be full and be like, ah, I'm just not satisfied. I just want something, just a little something more. Like you, your, your body is like in withdrawal of all of these sort of things, and you have these cravings. You can't explain it, Right? And so everything, everything, like every dinner we've had has been amazing, but so unsatisfying. And like, I think about that and I think that's, that kind of describes my life, right? Because I, I have everything, everything I need, right? There's nothing missing. There's nothing I would say, man, if I only had, like, no, I have, I mean, God has been so good. And many of us would probably say very similarly, God has been so good to us. And yet, just not quite satisfied. There's just still some little craving, some little something. And we don't even hardly know what it is. This chronic and terminal dissatisfaction. And I don't think I'm the only one. And so when Jesus pushes this guy, he's trying to get at those cravings. He's trying to expose what's really there. He's trying to give not just his son, but himself. See, the reality is Jesus has a bigger strategy for you and for our world than fixing your problems. He's a bigger strategy for you than simply giving you an easy, comfortable, happy life. He's actually bent on taking those places of unfulfilled longings, those places of grief, and turning them into faith. And we actually see it beginning to work in this man's life. Because he doesn't quit, this guy, right? I mean, Jesus just said no. I mean, pretty clear rebuke, gentle rebuke, but nevertheless a rebuke. And yet, look at, look at verse 49. This is the second time, right? Verse 49, he asks again. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. But Jesus, I just, I don't know what to do. Like, I just, I need you to come. I need you to help my son. Which leads to the second observation about true faith. True faith asks, and then it keeps asking. True faith asks, and then keeps asking. And if I'm honest, I'm not really sure how good I am at asking, which is really just another way of saying I'm probably not very good at asking. And I, you know, I pray, you know, in the morning, before bed, often even throughout the day. But as I thought about this this week, um, you know, I'm pretty good, I think, at, at praying for other people's needs. Maybe that comes a little bit more naturally as a pastor. It's just a normal part of my, my life, right? 
And I think I'm pretty good at asking even sort of vague requests for myself. God, help this big thing or this, but like the specifics, the nitty gritty of of where I'm really hurting or feeling overwhelmed. Like, God, I just need help with this relationship. I need help with this conversation. I don't know how to lead this meeting or this project or whatever, whatever it is. I'm just... I don't think I'm very good at that. And this is, this is what the guy does. He, he says to Jesus, here is a real problem in my life, a real area of desperation. And I need you to stand in that gap, Jesus. Like that's, that's the kind of faith I want. And so I don't know, I don't know if, it's, if it's my pride. I don't know if it's just laziness. But it doesn't quite feel like the, the faith of this man. And Jesus, he... He sees the faith in this man. And he answers his prayer. I, lo- I love this, though. I mean, don't, don't miss this. Like, he doesn't actually give him what he asks for, which is pretty great, actually, because what he asks for is, come with me. And she's like, nah, I got stuff to do. I can't do it. But he does give this guy what he needs, right? Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And this, this is where, like, as I study this these last couple of weeks, where it's just like this, that, that sentence in particular just blows me away. This guy had, like, what, six seconds with Jesus? I mean, maybe it was longer. We don't, we don't know if there was a little bit more time, but, but clearly not very much, right? And this, this one encounter, this simple moment, this tiny conversation with Jesus was so powerful, so compelling in his life that the man actually says, okay, I'll, I'll turn around and I'll walk the 20 miles back home. Having no idea with any certainty what the outcome is going to be. That, friends, that, like, that's faith, right? To hear a word from Jesus, no matter what that word is, an encounter with him, and then to trust him for the long way home. So these are the third observation. Really, if you take just one thing with you today, I hope it's this. True faith, trust Jesus for the long way home. I mean, what was that walk home like? He had a lot of alone time. Right? A lot of time to think. He's like, did he, did he run? Was he in a hurry on the way to see Jesus or on the way back? Right? Or, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was too exhausted on the way back. I, I don't know. But think about his mental space on that way home. He has no idea what's going to happen, not with any certainty. He doesn't know if the son is going to be okay. All he knows is that he met Jesus and he trusted him. And that, that somehow was enough. And to me, this, this feels like such a picture of the Christian life. I mean, not, not in the specifics, right? We're not in that particular story. But this, this to me, like, if you're a Christian, this is your story, isn't it? Because essentially, what, whatever brought you to Jesus, right, is those unfulfilled longings, that, that place of, of desire, of need, right, of, of something more or of grief. You've, you've brought that to Jesus. And you've asked him to intervene. And chances are you've asked and you've asked and you've asked. And whether or not he's answered you in the way that you've wanted him to, you've met him. You've had this encounter. And now here we are. Every one of us, somewhere between meeting Jesus and our long way home. 
And we don't, we don't know what the, the, this meantime is going to look like. We don't know the, the details of it, but we, we are there, right? Somewhere between, the, between having encountered him and the fulfillment of all of his promises to us. Every Christian is on that path. Between saying yes to him and our long way home. And we don't know if our son's going to live or die. You don't know if your marriage is ever going to be better your pain will ever be gone or your depression or anxiety. But you are trusting Jesus, taking him at his word, but that by the time you get home, it'll somehow be okay. You don't know how, you don't know when, you don't know what it's going to look like, but you're saying, okay, yes, I've met you, you've, you've given me these promises, and that somehow by the time I get there, that satisfaction, that place of longing, that place of, of unfulfilled need and grief will be met. Now, it's true for some of us, Jesus does answer our prayers while we're still on the way, right? And some of us have probably experienced that. Hopefully all of us in some way or another that Jesus, he does come through. It's not that like we just have one encounter with him and then we're done with him until we get there, right? We've had those moments, but it's not always exactly like what happens to this guy, because it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Verse, verse 51. Let's see, where am I at here? Verse 51. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him when the hour, he asked him the hour when he began to get better. And I, I, love, I love that he asked, because he's like even, you know, he's, he's wrestling with faith, right? He's trying to, was it a coincidence? Did it just happen? Like he's, he's wanting to wrestle like we are, Right? So when did it happen? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Good for that guy. Good for his son. But not all of us see our longings fulfilled while we're on the path. For many of us, and in many ways, actually all of us, right, to some extent, we have to wait till we're home. The question that we have to wrestle with is, will you trust Jesus for that long way home? Or let, let, me, let me ask it another way, because remember, John is making this contrast between the crowds, right, who just want to sign, right? They just want, they just want to marvel at Jesus. And between this, this outsider, right, who's trusting him. And so let me ask it another way. Are you in the crowd or are you trusting Jesus for the long way home? Because remember, the, the crowds don't actually, they don't want Jesus. They want what he can do, right? They, they want to come to him on their terms. Okay, Jesus, I'll trust you if, you know, if you impress me, if you give me what I want, if you don't get too close, right? If you prove it to me or something like that. But you know what? The, the reality is the crowds are the ones who miss out on this miracle. They don't go with this guy 20 miles back to his house. The, the ones there who are begging for this, who want to just see it, who want to just marvel at it, they miss out on it completely. And more than that, they miss Jesus. But this man, this, this picture of faith, he trusted what Jesus said because he'd encountered him. Like somehow in that moment, like something happened where this man realized, this is someone I can trust with my son's life. This is someone I can trust with my life. Again, verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And so will you trust what Jesus says to you? No matter what, whether you like it or not, 
whether it's a hard thing or an easy thing, whether it feels good in the moment or not, will you trust his word to you? Because the crowds miss out on the miracle. They miss Jesus. But the one with faith got his son, and more than that, he got Jesus. And again, that's what Jesus wants for you more than anything else in the world. Like, you might come to him for all kinds of reasons, and again, he'll, he'll take you. He's glad to have you. But he wants to give you himself. Like, that is the satisfaction of every one of our longings. That is the, the living water that he offered to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. This is what he's ultimately offering to this, this man. For his, this is his strategy for you, right? To take those things and draw you to himself. Because the reality is you and I, we're more than just the desperate father in this story. And certainly we, we read it in that way, and I think we're meant to to some extent, right? We, we identify with the father and his place of desperation. But the reality is we're much more like the dying son, aren't we? Absolutely without hope. We have no, no ability to rescue ourselves, to heal ourselves, to save ourselves. We need something deeply because of our, our sin and our brokenness. We're bleeding out in our places of desperation. But church, we, did, we have a father who didn't just walk 40 miles, but who crossed heaven and earth to be with us. Who actually entered into those areas of grief and longing. He knows what it's like to long. He knows what it's like to grieve. He actually knows what it's like so that he can meet us there to take our sickness and our sin upon himself, giving his life that we might get ours back. But he didn't stay dead. Which means not only do we have a home to look forward to, but it also means that he's with us every step of the way. That no matter where you are on that journey between meeting Jesus and your long way home, you will never be alone. You may not always feel him, right? You may not always recognize his presence, but that is, that is a clear promise, right? And we trust his word to us. It is that I will never leave you. That no matter what you experience, no matter how dark it may get or how overwhelmed you may be, no matter how, gr how grief may rob you of such joy, Jesus is with you. And so yes, the way home is hard. Yes, the way is long. But this is, this is what true faith does. True faith begins with unfulfilled longing. True faith asks and then keeps asking. And true faith trusts Jesus for the long way home. Let's pray. Father, even as I say those words, I know... I see the faces of those out here whose stories I know even just a glimpse of and know the difficulty of where they are. And the way home is hard and it feels very long. And so God, I, I pray particularly for those who are in that place of grief that you would be with them, that you'd be near to them even in this moment, that you would wrap your arms around them, that you would whisper to them words of your love, your presence, your commitment, that you will never leave them. And God, for all of us, I pray that we would come to you with real faith, not, not certainty, not sight, as the crowds want, but faith, believing what you have said to us in your word, that we would bring all of our unfulfilled longings to you, that you would, you would use them in our lives, in my life, to draw me to you, that we would ask, that we would even ask as a child, that's what Jesus says, to ask like children, and children, God, we know, keep asking, and they keep asking. Let us never grow weary. 
And as we walk, as we journey, hold us close, we pray. In Jesus' name.